seated. I invite you to join me now as we do every Lord's Day in taking our copy of God's Word, which we believe is inerrant and infallible, meaning it is perfect in all that it teaches and everything it has no error within it. So we take our copy of God's Word and turn together to our passage this morning, which is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. So Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Of course, if you have joined us in the past few weeks, you know that we are in the midst of a series on the church. We've kind of nicknamed it our, our Church 101 series. The series of us looking at the fundamentals, the basics, uh, the core of what the church is and what the church is supposed to do. We are the church. God's people gathered together are the church. So we need an understanding of who we are and what we are called to do. In that calling, what we're to do, we have focused on these past few weeks of looking at the means of grace. We believe this is what God has given to us as our directive of what we are to do. These, these means that God has given to us to guide us and to direct us in how we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, so this morning we come to the last means. And uh, the plan at this point is, of course, we'll have a guest preacher next week. The following week, we're going to start looking at the letters to the seven churches at the beginning of the book of Revelation, because each of those churches are guilty of not obeying the Lord, keeping the means of grace. So we want to look at this past the theoretical, look at the practical. What happens when we as a people and we as a church are not committed to God's word, prayer, and sacraments, as we'll see this morning Fellowship. So we'll use Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 this morning to guide us in that. And so if you hopefully have found your place by now, and let me pray for us as we come together for God's word. Lord, it is this is your word. It is a precious word. It's what Jesus tells us. We we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that comes from you. And we are told by by Paul, as he said to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by you. This is your perfect word. And it's profitable for us because it helps us grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this morning as we are in Hebrews 10 and these few verses, Lord, that you would bless the reading of it. Lord, you would bless my preaching of it. You would bless the hearing of it. Most of all, Lord, may you bless the application of it, of how it calls us to live for you. Bless us and bless our time in this way. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, we will stand together now for the reading of God's word. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. There are so many controversies out there in the world. Every once in a while, I'd like to think through one or read about one. One of particular interest to me is whether or not Yoko Ono is to blame for breaking up the Beatles, the Fab Four. The answer is yes. That woman was very much responsible for breaking up the greatest band ever. Um... There's so much more that can be said about that. 
you keep track of sports, you know, in the past couple weeks, Aaron Judge broke Roger Maris' record of home runs in a season. And it brings to mind the controversy of the 1998 season when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa broke Maris' record. There was this whole chase, whole build-up to it. But of course, it came out later, and it's confirmed what many people suspected. They were taking steroids. They, they cheated to, to, to reach that accomplishment, so it put a stain on an accomplishment. Many people think of it with an asterisk mark. So we're very hopeful Aaron Judge has it juiced up. And of course, that leads us to Barry Bonds, all the home runs he hit. And of course, that guy was steroid out of his mind. But there's other controversies we can think of as well. Going back to Watergate, uh, the Iran, Iran counter affair, even recent political events as well. But these issues and situations that can bring up heated opinions and conversations. Well, this morning, as we wrap up our wrap up our section on the means of grace, we're looking at something that we'll put in quotation marks as, as controversial. And that is the inclusion of fellowship in the means of grace. And why is it, why we say it's controversial in lowercase letters and quotation marks? Well, we have ARPs, our standards are Westminster Standards, the Confession of Faith, the Larger and Shorter Catechism. And we look at how they defined, how it's defined, the means of grace are defined in those standards, Fellowship isn't listed. It's just simply word, prayer, and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and baptism. And so there, there are plenty of pastors and theologians in our tradition who agree with that and say that's, those are the means of grace. It's the word, it's the prayer, and it's the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and baptism. But there are others, including myself, who do include fellowship in this. Plenty of good, solid pastors and theologians who believe that fellowship should be included as a means of grace, but we do so by making a distinction. When we think of the means of grace as just being God's appointed instruments by which the Holy Spirit enables believers to receive Christ and the benefits of redemption, then we can't include fellowship. Because then that will lead to the idea, the logic of just by having fellowship with other Christians, that can save you. That just because my favorite grandmother went to church and I love to go spend Saturday mornings with my favorite grandmama, that somehow that makes me a believer. But it also serves as a warning for us that just because we come to church and we're involved in the fellowship of the saints, that doesn't make us a Christian either. That famous quote by Corey Timboom, just because a mouse is in a cookie jar doesn't make it a cookie. So if if, if fellowship was a means of of God saving us, we'd have to say, no, that's not the means. How does God save us? He saves us through faith in Jesus Christ. And where do we learn about that? We learn about it by the word. We, We accept it through prayer. We celebrate it through the sacraments. God communicates his saving benefits through word, prayer, and sacraments. But when we look at the other side of means of grace as his appointed instruments by which he communicates Christ and his benefits to believers, then we can include fellowship in that. Many of us have this testimony that there's a faithful Christian in our lives who who led us either to Christ or to encourage us in our faith. 
That, that hopefully one of the reasons you come to Bethel ARP is because of the fellowship of the saints here. That we encourage you, we love you, we build each other up. So fellowship is not salvific in purpose. Just by being friends with a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. But it's helpful in growing in grace. Being around like-minded, like-hearted people encourages us in our faith. Now, we see this, especially in our Acts 2, 42 through 47 passage that we looked at for a few weeks. You don't have to turn back there, but let me reread portions of it for us. This is Luke describing the early church not long after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And he said, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, which is the Lord's Supper, and the prayers, right? There's your means of grace, word, prayer, and sacraments. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, that's, those were meals. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, and they praised God and had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to number day by day those who were being saved. As we talked about before we looked at, Luke is painting for us a picture of the early church. What did the early church look like? Well, this is what it looked like. And it gives us a, he gives a general summary of what the early church was like. It was very simple. They would gather together to listen to the apostles preach and teach. And then they would, uh, they would celebrate. They would have prayer with them for each other. They would celebrate the sacraments. But they had fellowship with each other. The, the picture painted for us here. That they would go to worship, and then afterwards, uh, somebody, you know, one family invited another family over and said, Hey, uh, we just made a, a, a wonderful chicken casserole, and we'd love to have you over. And we're going to have two or three families over, and they have meals with each other, and these were times of fellowship. And what does Luke say here? That God used the worship of the church, the means of grace, that, uh, as a ministry, but he also used the fellowship of Christians as a ministry, as an outreach. Because what we're told here is that others, as others outside the church looked at, at these people gathering for worship and how they worship, but also how they fellowship with each other, they were intrigued. And so they, they would come to worship and they would, they would hear the gospel preached and they would hear the gospel prayed and they would see the visible gospel, the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and Baptism. And then they would see these people go together and go back to each other's homes and have you know, fried chicken or, or casserole or whatever it is. And, and, and they would be including these meals and they would hear discussions of, of the sermon and they would hear testimonies of their lives. And God used all this one big passage to save people. Day by day, God was adding to their numbers. So from this passage, it's clear that our sovereign God used fellowship for gracious means. Not salvific, but helpful in growth and grace. And so when we stop and we think about it, it it makes sense that God would use it in such a gracious way because we know how important fellowship and relationships are to us. All of us in here, we have a friendship, we have a relationship, we have fellowship that plays a very important part in our lives. It shapes who we are. And we hold on to those relationships and those fellowships dearly. I recently heard a story that comes from early on in, in, in the Vietnam War. There's a story about a group of guys in New York City who would gather at a local neighborhood bar after work. And they would have a couple of beers where they would go home. And, and part of what they do is they would talk about the other guys in the neighborhood who, guys from the neighborhood who had gone off to Vietnam. And they would wonder, how are they doing? 
And as they're talking, there's a TV playing, and they're watching these, these news reports, and they're, they're bothered by all the protesters who are out there against the war, and, they're, and they're, they're bothered by how they perceive the media was covering the war. And so one evening, they're gathered around the bar, and the bartender, who was known as the colonel, said, Do these protesters not know that our soldiers are there, uh, that our soldiers see them, and that it's broadcast all over, all over the world? I would love to go to Vietnam, track down all the boys from the neighborhood, and just give them a beer. One of the guys in the bar, no, his chick, he said, hey, I can do that. He was a merchant marine. Two days later, he got himself assigned to a ship going to Vietnam. He gets off the ship carrying a duffel bag full of beer. Two months later, he lands in Vietnam. And he goes and he tries to find all the guys he can from the neighborhood back home just simply to give them a beer and say, hey, this is from the guys in the neighborhood. We're thinking of you. We love you. We miss you. Take care of yourself. He went through war zones. He went through rifle fire, machine gun fire. He traveled all over Vietnam just to go to his friends and say, hey, we're thinking of you. We love you. Take care of yourself. Wouldn't we all want a friend like Chicky? Don't we want to have fellowship with at least one person in our life who would be willing to travel halfway around the world to run through white rifle fire around landmines all to say, hey, here's a beer. Are you drink of choice? We care about you. We love you. We miss you. Take care of yourself and get home safely. Yeah, we all want that friendship because we've all been been made for that sort of fellowship. It's innate in who we are. We see that in the creation story. We think back to, to we've talked about this before, but what, about in Genesis 1 about what God said when he first made Adam and Eve. He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image and the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. God's not schizophrenic. He's not saying schizophrenic. He's saying, let us, our multiple personalities, make man. This, this is the triune God speaking. This is one of the first glimpses we get of the Trinity in the Bible. It's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Same as substance, equal in power and glory who says this. And the triune God says, let us make man in our image. So he was created in the image of the triune God. There's so much to unpack there, but when we begin to unpack it and unpack the nature of the Trinity, the, the one and three, the three and one, one of the things we have to unpack is the fellowship nature of the Trinity. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the one and three, the three and one, and they are in perfect fellowship with each other. There's no sin. There's no jealousy. There's no gossiping. There's no backbiting. The Father doesn't go to the Son and say, what a moron the Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit doesn't go to the Father and say, do you sure you want Jesus here? Guy's kind of loony. Right? There's none of that there. It's perfect fellowship with the three in one, one in three. And that is the image that we've been made, made in. That's the image of the triune God. And in that image, we have been made to have fellowship with each other. The triune God in perfect fellowship with each other has created us to have fellowship with God and with each other. It's a reminder that we weren't created to be on our own. We're not created to be isolated. We're not an island unto ourselves. 
We see that in the creation story. Adam was made in the image of the relational triune God. And he had fellowship with God. God went with him to name the animals. God would come down in the cool of the day to walk with Adam in the garden. And I don't know what their conversation was like, but they had conversation. Maybe God said to Adam, how was your day? Adam said, God, it was a great day. Yeah, yeah that, that, that animal named the elephant, he can really help me pick fruit <laughs> the top part of the trees, right? And it's, just, it's been a great day. But Adam and Eve had this fellowship with God. And one of the great tragedies of sin is that loss of fellowship. When, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, it wasn't just that they were kicked out of paradise. They were, they were taken away from that sort of fellowship with God. Now this relationship was broken by sin. This is the holy God who cannot abide with sin. His perfect creatures have now fallen into sin. It's a relationship broken by sin. But here's the glory of the gospel. This relationship broken by sin can now only be restored by God himself. And he does so through his son, Jesus Christ. The proto-evangelon in Genesis 3.15, I will send forth a seed that will crush the head of the serpent. This is the promise of the Son to come to restore fellowship with God. All of us have been created in the image of God. Every person ever created has been created in the image of God. Imago Dei, as we say in Latin. And in that image, we have been created to have fellowship with God. That was once broken the garden, but now we can have it through a relationship of faith with God himself and the second person in training, Jesus Christ, who then brings us into a relationship with all the Trinity. Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful promise of fellowship there and salvation? To know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and then to know God as our Father, and to know the Holy Spirit as our comforter and teacher and guide? And that's as part of covenant of grace that God made with his people. That the seed of it there in Genesis 3.15, but summarized by the prophet Jeremiah. I will be your God and you will be my people. And as we trace that covenant through scripture, we find that this covenant includes fellowship of God with his people. Fellowship through his word. Fellowship through deliverance. Fellowship through the prophets. Fellowship through the promises. But all that in the Old Testament is pointing to one direction, and that's the Gospels, and that is leading, and that, that ultimately leads us to God Himself, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, coming to His people. And think about the, the, the enormity of that. From the garden, fellowship broken, to now the second person of the Trinity coming, God incarnate, 100% man, 100% God, to do what? To have fellowship with His people. As John says, he came to tabernacle with them in the grace of fellowship. So even in our covenant of grace, this covenant that God makes with us is a covenant of fellowship. I will be your God, relational, and you will be my people, relational. It's a covenant and part of fellowship. But another part of this we see in the creation story is we are made for fellowship with one another. When God created Adam... He said what? It's not good for man to be alone. We need relationships. We need fellowship with other people. It doesn't matter if you're an off-the-scale extrovert or if you're an off-the-scale introvert who would love the idea of being a hermit. There's an innate part of all of us that benefits from fellowship. It's a need of who we are. That's why one of the worst punishments man has ever invented is solitary confinement. It is horrible 
to be set apart from people for a while and to have no fellowship. I don't know how your children are. My children, it's pure torture to put them in timeout. Right? To, to, to you know, make them stand in a corner, put their nose in or go sit somewhere where they can't be around each other. They can last five minutes or so. I think it's just pure torture. I think they'd rather be beaten than have timeouts. In Colorado, there's a prison named the Florence Administrative Maximum Facility. It's classified as a supermax prison. This is where the worst of the worst goes to. This is where uh, uh, the Unabomber is and, and, and terrorists that we've captured around the world. That's where it's sent to. In this prison, inmates are confined 23 hours per day in single cells. And everything in there is made out of poor reinforced concrete. The walls, the floor, uh, the ceiling, of course, desk, the sink, even their beds are made out of concrete. And at the very top, they have little slivers of windows that lets in a tiny bit of light, but that sits. One hour a day, they're allowed to go outside to go into a cage to walk around with little to no human contact. Again, this is where the worst of the worst is sent. And not surprisingly, there's an elevated amount of mental issues that are brought on by this place, in part because there's no fellowship. You are all alone for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 12 months out of a year, sometimes 5, 10, 15 for a lifetime. We have this innate need for fellowship. And God, in his graciousness, answers this need for us. As Christians, this is where we find fellowship with each other and the church is so important. When we become Christians, we enter into a fellowship of believers that spans all over the globe and all the ages. So the book of Hebrews tells us there's a great cloud of witnesses. Two of our Senate officers are in Africa right now uh, uh, at, a, at a conference over there, joining with Christians from all over the world, other Reformed uh, denominations, joined together for meetings. When we become Christians, we enter into this fellowship that spans the earth and spans time. And God's word teaches us that we will only grow in Christ's likeness when we are in this community and fellowship. Look, look again with me back at our, at our Hebrews passage. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we're very sure that it is a sermon. It's one continuous sermon. So in this sermon to this church, what is being taught? Fellowship, right? That's the language here. Let us. That's the language of fellowship. So it's talking about as a community of believers, we have fellowship with one another. So let's make, one, let's make each other better. Stir one another up to love and good works, right? Ironing, our iron shoppering iron. Let's encourage each other in love to love God and neighbors as we ought to. To understand that good works never produce faith, but faith always produces good works. That the Christian faith will be seen in how we live. And that's why the writer says, make sure you do not neglect this because this is the habit of some. And there's a warning there as you see the day drawing near. That's the day, that's the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
And I believe the implications there is very clear. If you are truly a Christian and you will truly be involved in Christian fellowship, you will be involved with worship. But if you were not, then there is judgment coming with Jesus Christ. Fellowship is serious. Because it's in Christian community that we read the word and we hear it preach. That we join our, forces, or join our voices together in prayer. That we sing praises to God. That we bear one another's burdens. Why we praise God for, for, for delivering Kelly from, 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 from cancer or radiation. We pray with her. We've been there with her in prayers. So why, why we continue to pray for Bradley Oates. That's why when, when somebody passes away in our congregation or, or there's some sort of hardship, we're there to bear one another's burdens. We're, we're called to speak truth to one another, to encourage one another. We, we celebrate the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and Baptism. We experience the blessings of church membership and, and we experience the tough love of church discipline. That's what we have been made for. And let me make this as plain and clear as possible. The Bible knows nothing of Christians who willfully separate themselves from Christian fellowship and worship. There is no lone wolf. There is no island mentality. How did Jesus begin his ministry? By gathering together the 12 disciples. And what was his, one of his last commands? Go therefore and make disciples. The Bible knows nothing of a Christian who has nothing to do with other Christians who has nothing to do with church. Because it's a means to which God pours out his sanctifying grace upon us and through us. We need fellowship. We need fellowship with God. We need fellowship with each other. I've shared this story before and I'll share it again this morning because I think it fits well as a story a member of a certain church. He'd been regular and attending church, but he stopped going. After a few weeks, the pastor decided to visit him. It was a chilly evening. The pastor comes to the home, finds the man alone, and the man sitting before a blazing fire in a fireplace. And guessing the reason why the pastor's there, the man welcomes him in, leads him to the, a big chair near the fireplace. He sits down and he waits. What is the pastor going to say to me? The pastor sits himself in the chair, makes himself comfortable, but he says nothing. And the man decides, I'm not going to say anything until the pastor says something. But they sit there in silence. And they both of them find themselves looking at the flames and how uh, they played around the burning logs. After some minutes, nothing being said, the pastor reaches over, picks up the fire tongs, and par- carefully picks up a, a brightly burning ember. He places it to one side of the fireplace all alone, away from the fire. Puts down the tongs, sits back in his chair, still doesn't say anything. Now the man is, he's like, what's... What's going on? And they both watch that lone ember's flame diminish and then the fire is no more. So it was cold. It was dead. And still not a word had been spoken. The pastor takes the tongs, picks up that ember, that cold dead ember, and places it back in the middle of the fire. And you know what happens? It immediately begins to glow once more the light and warmth of the burning coals around it. The pastor stands up to leave, never said a word, and the man says to him, thank you so much for your visit and for your fiery sermon. I'll be back in church next Sunday. We need fellowship.
We need fellowship with God. We need fellowship with each other. If there's a reason why the writer of Hebrews, the preacher, says, do not neglect us because we're honest. When our schedule starts to get busy, what's one of the first things we tend to get rid of? Fellowship. Fellowship with God and with each other. When life gets busy, we start spending less time in God's word and in prayer. When we look at our schedule for the week, all it needs to get done, all the places we want to go to, what do we say? Well, we don't have to go to church. We can, we can get rid of that. We can do these other things instead of going to church. We take this grace of fellowship with God and each other and we turn away from it. And we try to satisfy ourselves by saying, well, we'll, we'll have a quick devotion or we'll, we'll try to watch something online if we do anything at all. Couples, let me ask you a question. How healthy would your relationship be if you only spent 10 minutes with each other during the week? Monday through Sunday, you only spent 10 minutes with each other to get through as quickly as possible because you'd rather be off doing something else. How good would your relationship be if you only spent time with each other over Zoom? And parents, think the same with your children. I can only give you 10 quick minutes during the week and that's it. If you want to see me after that, I'm not going to come to you. You can come to me over Zoom. We all know the answer to that. It wouldn't be good because it's not healthy. We are created for fellowship. We need fellowship. We need more than a 10-minute devotion on Sunday morning. We need more than then tuning in to worship because we're just, let's be honest, we're just too lazy to go to church. And there are some of us... It's a necessity. We understand there are situations that arise. But if we're honest, sometimes we're just too lazy to get up and go to church. When these become our habits, then our habits start to harm us. Grace isn't, our fellowship isn't an option, it's a necessity. This is good for our souls. To read God's word to hear his truth, to pray to him, to sing praises to him, to be around other Christians, those who, who share the same eternal love and grace, to encourage each other, to help each other, to speak a strong word when it needs to be said. It's how God grew his church in the book of Acts. It's how Jesus did ministry. He came to earth, God incarnate, to have fellowship with his people, to build relationships, to know his people, to be known by his people. Is still how Jesus does ministry. He sends his spirit to us. We have God himself residing within us. It's the example set for us by the image of the one we remain in. The Father sent his only Son so that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit may have fellowship with you and you with him. And in this fellowship with our God to have fellowship with his other sons and daughters. That's the grace of fellowship. But the issue and call for us is to see fellowship as his means of grace so we will treat it as such. Who is it we allow to speak the most and loudest in our lives? Who or what do we choose to spend most of our time on? God so loved you and he gave his only begotten son so that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit may have fellowship with you and you with him. And the glory of that fellowship to have fellowship with his other sons and daughters. That's the grace of fellowship. That's the grace that we need.
May we take that grace seriously. May we hold on to it. So in that fellowship, God can continue to grow us in the grace and the knowledge of the one who is grace and the one who has, has a relationship and fellowship with us, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Pray with me.